What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Like many of you, I enjoy watching football, and when you watch football, you you quickly learn who the main stars of the team are. These are the ones who are announced constantly. These are the guys who pretty much get all the glory for the points scored or all the glory for the tackles that are made. These are the guys who typically get into the commercials and, you know, their face and their posters and everything are kind of splattered all throughout the city that they play in. You know, here in Houston, you know, uh, we hear most about J.J. Watt or Clowney because, you know, they're the defensive ends. Deshaun Watson, the quarterback, or uh, DeAndre Hopkins, a wide receiver. And, and some people who are here in Houston who don't even care about football still at least know J.J. Watt if they watch H-E-B commercials. But, you know, they're just familiar because these people are kind of put out there. Uh, but, you know, are you familiar with the names Trevor Daniel, John Weeks, Kiami Fairbain? You know, these are also players for the Texans, but, you know, even people who watch the Texans don't actually know who these guys are, uh, maybe the kicker, but um, this is the punter, the long snapper, the, the kicker, and, and they're the ones who, who aren't really well known. Uh, they're, they're on these special teams. Now, if you want to have a great football team, yeah, having a great quarterback is important, having great receivers, great defensive players, but you also have to have good special teams players if you want to win, especially if you want to win a Super Bowl. But you know what? These guys are the guys who do a lot of hard work, but don't get the glamour. They do a lot of hard work, but they're not the ones that you know people know about. They're not the ones that constantly get announced. They're not the ones that are on the commercials and that everybody sees. They're the guys kind of behind the scenes doing the dirty work in order for the team to win. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I want to kind of help illustrate something that's real important about ministry. You see, the big name players that we know, like Watt and Clowney and and Watson, you know, they're like the big name apostles in the Bible. You know, men like Peter, men like Paul, men like John, you know, the men that everybody knows about, the people that, you know, we're familiar with their names, we're familiar with their ministries, we're familiar with what they did for the Lord. But you know what? When When we hear that, if I put up, you know, those names, I'm sure right away you would just have all these thoughts of, who these guys are, but what if I said the name Tychicus, Epaphras, Justice? Would you have a clue who they are? Do those names ring a bell? Do all of a sudden these thoughts of, oh yes, I know who they are, I know what ministry they did, you know, I know how the Lord used them? For most people, these are names that just sound weird. You know, they have no other connection to them, they don't know who these guys are, they don't know what they did for the Lord. You know, Paul is one of the most recognized Christians ever, but sometimes we miss the reality he had a team always around him, serving with him, helping him accomplish the work that God had called not just him, but this team of people to do. 
And three names that I just mentioned are people who served with Paul. But these guys aren't well-known. These aren't the, the ones that we typically see. You know, these aren't the roles that we typically you know, long for, but yet they were vital for the ministry that God did. And here at the end of Colossians, Paul shares with us ten of these, what you could call his special team players. Ten men that served alongside of him. Men that didn't get the recognition. Men that didn't you know, have a lot of people know who they are or what they did. They were behind the scenes guys. But what they did were so important to the work of God. They were important servants who did great service for Jesus. And so Paul's going to conclude this letter sharing about these ten guys that are ministering presently with him as he writes this letter to the Colossian believers. Now, for the past several weeks, we've been looking at how we should demonstrate Jesus in different areas of our life. We looked at how we should do that in our personal lives, in our fellowship with other believers, in family relationships between husband and wife, between child and parents. Uh, We looked at it in our work as employees, as employers. Last week, we looked at our witness to this lost world And the final thing that we're going to see here this morning that Paul focuses on is our service. We should be demonstrating Jesus in our service. All of us have been called to serve Jesus, but something we need to remember is we have different gifts. And we've been called to serve in different ways. But all of those giftings and all of those ways that we've been called to serve are important. And sometimes we fall into this trap to look at a guy like Paul or a guy like Peter or a guy like John, these apostles, these pastors, these people with significant, you know, ministry things that we think, wow, they're great missionaries or whatever. And we kind of think, well, that's true ministry. That's what's really important. And then these other roles that I don't think are quite as significant. Well, that's just kind of, you know, the stuff that's not so important. We need to realize that anything that God gives to you, any role, any gifting is important to him. And he wants you to use it for his glory. And you know, that's what I like about the end of this book. Because I think we can relate really well to these people. You know, sometimes it's hard to relate to a Paul. You think, man, I don't have in a ministry anything like him. You know, I'm not gifted any way like him. You know, so it's kind of hard to, you know, here's this guy who suffered for the Lord and did all these missionary journeys and planted all these churches. And, and for many Christians, that's just so foreign to them. That's just so uh, very different than what God has gifted them in, what God has called them to. And so it's hard to relate to a guy like that and be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be like Paul. But you know what? What I love about these people is that the roles that they have are the ones that are more common within the body of Christ. The roles and the giftings that they have, you're going to see that really you're going to be able to relate well. I think most believers can relate well to how these people served the Lord. And so I think what we look at this morning is going to be very applicable, very challenging, as we see these 10 different individuals that served Jesus. And as we look at these 10 guys, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to share just kind of that what they did, how they served, so that we can look at practical ways that we should serve the Lord as well, so that they're an encouragement and an example to us of the way in which we can serve Jesus. Guy King wrote this about the end of this letter. I dare say you have had the experience of receiving a letter from a friend in which he has enclosed a group photograph of friends well-known to you both. Paul seems to have done here in words 
something of the same kind. He has grouped together in thumbnail sketches a number of people who are round about him in Rome and who are all well known to the church members in Colossae. How interested they will be in these glimpses on the Sabbath morning in the assembly on their far-off comrades in faith, brought so vividly to sight and memory by these spoken miniatures. I dare say that we too may gain interest and inspiration from a study of their features, for each has a characteristic profile of his own. Take a good look at them. They're in the group, one by one. So Paul ends this letter with this great picture, this great you know, kind of painting of these guys and who they are and how they served. And it's wonderful for us because as we look at this, it's going to help us see how we can better serve the Lord as well. And so we're just going to go through and we're just going to look at each one of these individuals, what Paul says, and what we can learn about service from it. So the first person that Paul shares with us is a man by the name of Tychicus, a great name to name your kids. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. Tychicus is a man that ministered with Paul for many years. He is mentioned five times in the New Testament, starting in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, uh, we see that Paul's there ministering in Ephesus, and he's at the end of his third missionary journey. And his plan was to go to Jerusalem. And he wanted to go there, traveling through Macedonia, back to Jerusalem. And the purpose of traveling this way was because all these Gentile churches had told Paul, hey, we have an offering that we have taken for the believers in Jerusalem who were going through a famine, who needed help financially. And so Paul was going to go to these Gentile churches, collect this money, and he wanted to personally go and deliver it to the saints in Jerusalem. But he said, you know what? I also want to bring some of my Gentile brothers. Because in Jerusalem, you know, most all the believers were Jewish. And Paul has been sharing about what God's been doing in all these other countries among the Gentiles. He's like, man, I want to bring some of these guys with me to give this money to the believers there in Jerusalem. And one of the people that Paul wanted to come to represent the Gentiles was this man, Tychicus. Now you might be thinking, well, accompanied Paul on this journey, why is that so significant? Why would that be a big deal? Well, it's because it's an extremely difficult journey. You know, today you could just hop on a plane, you know, you'd be in uh, Ephesus hanging out with believers at lunch, and you could be back, you know, where Paul was at dinner time because, you know, things are so easy with the transport that we have. But that was not the case in Paul's day. This was a long, difficult trip. Most of it would have been on foot. Some of it would have been a dangerous sea travel. And, you know, it would have been weeks of hard, even possibly months of dangerous travel. So for Tychicus to undertake this, this was a big commitment. You know, to leave everything and say, all right, Paul, I'm going to go on this journey with you to Jerusalem to deliver this money was a big deal. But, you know, as he got on this journey, he started to discover it's an even bigger deal. Because this was a journey where as Paul is traveling to Jerusalem, every place he stops, we're told, the Spirit of God is speaking through people, telling Paul, don't go, change and tribulation awaits you. Well, they added the don't go. The Spirit was just saying, this is what's going to happen. Change and tribulation await you. Change and tribulation await you. And the people are like, well, because of that, don't do it, Paul. And Paul's like, hey. None of these things move me. I'm going to do it no matter what because this is what God's called me to. Now imagine you're a ticketist. You're, hey, hey, wait a second, Paul. 
I'm, I'm journeying with you here, man. So when we get there, well, what's going to happen when I'm by your side and these chains and tribulation come? Well, they did come. Paul actually has to journey to Rome. Guess who goes with him? Tychicus. Paul's in prison in Rome writing this letter. Guess who's with him? Tychicus. Two years after this, Paul is still with, or Tychicus is still with Paul. He stayed with him through all of these hardships and ministered with him. So he's a man who's stuck by Paul no matter how hard it got. And I think that's one of the reasons Paul says what he says of him. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. You know, I love the three things that Paul says here about Tychicus because I think these are three things that when we look at our service to the Lord, things that we want to be known about, these are three things that we all can do. We don't have to have some special gifting or some great calling to have this known about us. This is something that all of us can do as believers. We can be there for other believers like Tychicus was for Paul. And it will make us beloved to them. You know, something I'm sure that we all love is when there are difficult times that we're going through, good or bad, that people are there for us. You know, that makes them beloved. You know, there are oftentimes you kind of see who really cares when times are difficult and you see who shows up. When times are hard, you see who's still there in your life. And it doesn't take a, a great calling to be there for people when they're needing you. Another way we can do this is we can be faithful ministers, faithful servants. You know, I think it's interesting, this term minister, you know, we've kind of made it into something that it's not. People kind of use this term in, in a way that isn't what the word actually means. It means servant. Uh, and so people kind of take this title as it's like, you know, I'm so much better than you and you should serve me when the reality is the, the word actually means servant. And so Paul is saying that, you know, this man was a faithful servant and a fellow servant of Jesus. And this was something that really ministered to Paul. He was encouraged by that. Here's a guy who's a fellow servant of Jesus, but he's also faithful. And I like what we see here because notice what Paul values. It's not like, oh, I only value your service because you do exactly what I do. Because Tychicus didn't do what Paul did. He wasn't called like Paul was. He wasn't gifted like Paul was. But notice what Paul valued. Not the role, not the gifting of service. He valued the faithfulness of his service. And this should be something that should encourage us because sometimes we come to this conclusion, well, if I don't have the right, you know, this gifting or if I don't have this ministry, then it's not really valuable. But first of all, we have no control over the gifts God gives us. We don't have control over the calling that God gives us, but we do have control over something very important. Are we going to be faithful with what he's given us? Are we going to be faithful to that calling? Are we going to be faithful to that gifting? And that's the thing that blessed Paul about this man. He was faithful in what he was given. And all of us can be faithful in what we're given as well. But Paul says something else about this man as well. He says, He will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. How did this letter get to the Colossian believers? This man right here. Tychicus was the man that was sent by Paul from Rome to go to Colossae and hand deliver this letter. And as he was there, he was also to share with these believers about Paul to bring comfort to them. And I think this is a great thing as well. This is another thing that all of us can do. We can all be those who bring good news and comfort to people. You know, without people like Tychicus, 
The ministry that Paul is so well known for wouldn't have got done. You know, the things that we remember about him, these letters that go from place to place, they would have still been in Rome. These things took place because other people were faithful to work alongside of Paul and see the Lord use them in great ways. So the first practical way we should serve the Lord is to serve like Tychicus. Always be there for people as a faithful servant who brings good news and comfort. Well, the next person that Paul shares about is another one with a great name, Onesimus. And he is in verse 9, says this, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So just like Tychicus, Paul says, hey, Onesimus is also going to be journeying to you guys with this letter. He's going to be sharing with you about me, and he's going to bring comfort to you as he does this. But Paul says another thing about Tychicus, that's, or about uh, Onesimus that's different. Notice what he says. He says, who is one of you? Now, once Paul says that, when he says, Onesimus, who is one of you, all of a sudden, everybody there in Colossae would have been like, oh, that Onesimus. They would recognize who this is. They would recognize what this guy has done, and they'd be aware of that. And this is actually quite important because Onesimus did something quite unfortunate that he would have been known for in a very negative way. Because Onesimus, he was a slave. He was a slave to his master whose name was Philemon. And he decides to steal from Philemon. And then he runs away from Philemon and goes to Rome as a runaway slave. Now this is a huge deal because in the Roman Empire at that time, if a slave stole from his master and ran away, the punishment that that master could invoke was death. So this is a very significant crime that Onesimus does. And now he's in Rome hiding from his master with the stolen goods from his master, and he gets in trouble in Rome. We're not told exactly what he did, but he ends up in prison. And while in prison, he meets Paul and gets saved. And all of a sudden, his life turns around and changes, and he becomes very useful to Paul. He ministers to Paul in prison and with Paul in prison, and he becomes a man that's life was changed in a great way. And so... When he gets out of prison, Paul writes a letter. It's a letter that we have in our Bible, the letter to Philemon. Philemon's his master. And Paul is writing to Philemon to let him know, hey, the slave who stole from you, the slave who ran away from you, he got saved. And he's been a real blessing to me. And so I want you to do two things. I want you to forgive him, but I also want you to receive him as a brother. And whatever he's taken from you, you put that on my account. For all that I've done for you and all that you owe me, you know what, just put it on my account and forgive him and let him back into your good graces. And that's basically what the book of Philemon is all about. But I think it's great here that although Onesimus, technically he's a runaway slave and thief, but notice that's now how Paul describes him. Paul doesn't say, and Onesimus, the runaway slave and thief, agrees you. Oh yeah, that guy. No, he says, Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother. And the thing I love about this is because Paul recognizes that's not what Onesimus is anymore. Yeah, he was the runaway slave and thief, but he's been changed. He's no longer that man anymore. There's been a change in his life because he has accepted Christ. 
A wonderful verse of encouragement, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is, you know, described so well in this man. He was the runaway slave and thief, but not anymore. What he used to be is not what he is now. God has changed him. He's become a new creation. The old life has passed away. Now he's our fellow beloved brother who's going to bring comfort. He brought, he stole from you before. He brought pain and misery before, but now he's going to bring comfort to your life. And what a testimony of the power of God to transform a life. The testimony that God can take someone who's messed up, who's sinful, and when they come to Jesus Christ, not only forgive them, but also change them and use them for His service. So the second practical way that we should serve the Lord is serve like Onesimus. Recognize that we have been changed from our past to be faithful and beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, sometimes I hear this from people and they think this kind of disqualifies them. I can never be used by God because look at what I did in the past and look what I used to be. And we need to remember, no, that doesn't matter. God forgives that. You're now different. You're now changed. He wants to use you in great ways just like he does. I mean, if anyone could say, I should never be used, it should be Paul. He murdered Christians. I mean, if anyone should say, yeah, my past has disqualified me from ever doing something from God, it's Paul. But God used Paul in amazing ways because he can transform and change even the most wicked of sinners. Next, Paul shares about Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice in verses 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Paul has some specific things to say about each one of these three guys, but before we get into those specific things, he has a general comment about all three of them that I think is important to note and gives us a little bit of insight about each one of these guys. He says this, These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus who is called Justice, are the only guys ministering with Paul at this time who are of or from the circumcision. You know what that means? They're the only Jewish guys. Now think about this. I mean, Paul is Jewish. He's passionate for Gentiles. But you know what? There were very few people through his ministry that were Jewish that joined him. Remember, at the beginning of the church, it was very difficult because the Jews didn't even believe that God wanted to reach Gentiles. God had to give this vision to Peter to change his heart. And there were a lot of Jews who struggled with this ministry to the Gentiles. And so Paul never really had that many Jews serving with him. The majority of people that served with Paul were Gentiles. But here at this point in his life, he had other Jews that ministered at different points. He has these three guys. And he brings this up that, hey, you know what? They were willing to go through this with me. Because, you know, serving with Paul would be hard. We've seen what he did. But you know what? If you're a Jew, it would be harder. Because notice who is Paul's biggest rival throughout all the places he goes. 
The Jews or the Judaizers, these people who are still stuck in Judaism, who think that Jesus is not the Messiah, who believe that Paul is drawing people away from Judaism. They want to destroy his life. They're the ones who constantly try to kill him. Uh, They're the reason for so much of his hardship. But if you're a Gentile there, they wouldn't target you as much. But if you're another Jew, how dare you? How dare you as well leave Judaism to come and be a part of Christianity and and declare this false Messiah? I mean, that was their heart and mindset. And so people like these three guys who joined Paul, this would have been a little more difficult for them because the the people that they constantly were up against were those who really were not for this. And I'm sure they might have even had some family and some friends who were Jewish. That, that this was not popular. Reaching the Gentiles was not popular. Traveling with Paul and doing ministry with Paul was not popular, but yet they were willing to follow the calling of God, even though they suffered for it, even though it was difficult. You know, I think we can relate to this because ministry can be hard. It can be unpopular. I'm sure many of your friends and family don't agree with you being a Christian. Don't agree with you trying to follow Jesus. Oftentimes it brings persecution, but we still need to choose to do it. And these guys brought comfort to Paul. It was a blessing to him. I'm sure he was blessed to minister with fellow Gent- with other Gentiles, but there's just probably something special about other Jews who are willing to, to go and reach Gentiles with him. And I think this is another thing that each one of us can do in our service to the Lord. We can just serve him even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, and what a comfort that is to others that you're serving with. Now I want us to note some specific things that Paul says about each one of these guys. Let's start with Aristarchus. We're told that he is my fellow prisoner and he greets you. Aristarchus first appears in the Bible during Paul's three-year ministry at Ephesus. It was the longest place that Paul stayed in any of his places. So he did all these missionary journeys, and there's that one place, Ephesus, where he lasts three years. He usually traveled you know, and didn't stay that long anywhere else. And during this time, if you remember the story in Acts, there's this riot because of things that Paul did there that were for the Lord. And they try to get Paul, but he's not in this home. And so they seize some other guys. Well, here's one of the people that they seize, Aristarchus. Uh, so he suffers because of this connection with Paul. Uh, but then he accompanies Paul on his trip to Jerusalem, on his voyage to Rome. Uh, and now, as Paul's writing this letter to Colossians, where is he writing from? He's writing from prison. And look who's there with him, my fellow prisoner. Here's a guy who's still with me, still by my side, still serving with me, even though it's led us both to prison. And I think this is something that's just such a great testimony of this man, willing to go through whatever it took, whatever trial, whatever God would lead, even if it led to prison, I'm going to be there by Paul's side. I'm going to continue with this ministry that God has not just called Paul to, he's called me to as well. And so I'm going to be there with him through thick and thin, through difficulty, and whatever it may bring. You know, once again, the Lord's work would not be done if it weren't for people like this. Here's a guy who's just saying, I'm called alongside of Paul. I'm called to be there with him. I'm called to minister to him. And no matter where it leads, and no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to be faithful to do that. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
And this is something that Aristocrus did for Paul. As he's there alongside of him in prison on those difficult journeys and all these hardships, he is bearing Paul's burdens, being there for Paul, helping Paul, and what a wonderful ministry it was. So the third practical way we should serve the Lord is to serve like Aristocrus, to come alongside of people and help bear their burdens. To make a choice. To say, you know what, I'm not just going to be there for you when it's easy, when, when things are good, but you know what, even when it's hard, and when it's hard on me, when it leads to places I don't want to be, like a prison, I'm still going to be by your side. Now let's see the specific thing that Paul says about Mark in verse 10. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now this is an important little piece of information because as we're going to see here, Mark was a man that Paul knew well. In the book of Acts, Mark's journeys with Barnabas and Paul and that first missionary journey it was Barnabas, Paul, and Mark. And they're out there and they're doing the work of the Lord. And in the middle of that journey, things got hard. And Mark decides, you know what? This is too difficult. I'm going home. That didn't sit well with Paul. Paul was really bothered that when things got hard, Mark abandoned them, Mark left this journey and went back home where it was a lot easier and nicer. And so then comes a time when Barnabas and Paul are saying, hey, let's do another missionary journey. And Barnabas says, yeah, let's do that. And let's bring Mark again. Paul's like, no way. Why would I bring that guy? Remember last time he left us? Don't you remember that? We're not bringing him. And they have this contention. Barnabas is real desperate to bring Mark and, and say, let's give him a second chance. And Paul is like, no, I'm not giving him a second chance. But there's something interesting we see here is that Barnabas is the cousin of Mark. So it wasn't just that they had this you know, servant relationship, ministry relationship. They had a family relationship, which probably shows even more why Barnabas was pushing for him. You know, let's give him a second chance. I know him. You know, yeah, he messed up, he abandoned us, but, you know, the Lord's working in him, and and let's bring him again. Paul's not having it. And so, this is a sad part in the book of Acts where there's a split. Paul says, fine, then we just won't go together. I'll take Silas, and he and I are going to go here, and Barnabas, you and Mark, you can go somewhere else and minister. And that's what happens. There's this split between Paul and Barnabas, and they don't minister together uh, after that, uh, and they kind of go their separate ways with separate people. But the good news of this story, even though it's kind of a sad part in Paul's ministry, is that now we see this relationship between he and Mark starting to change. All of a sudden, he sees the value in Mark. And notice what he tells the Colossian believers about Mark. They were to obey Mark's instructions and welcome him. Not, hey, you guys need to shun this guy. Let me tell you something. When I was on my first missionary journey, he abandoned us. You know, don't listen to anything he says. That's not Mark's. Paul's attitude towards Mark at all. I think what we see here shows the grace of God at work. The grace of God was working in Paul to help him see, you know what, Paul? Yes, this man failed. But it's time to forgive. It's time to offer second chances. It's time to restore this relationship. And we also see the grace of God working in Mark. Because Mark did fail, but we're going to see that Mark goes and he, and he travels and he starts ministering with Peter. And if anyone knows about second chances, it's Peter who denied Jesus. And he comes and Jesus gives him the second chance. Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to still use you. Go feed my sheep. 
Peter understood that, is gracious to Mark, serves with Mark, and now all of a sudden we see this reconciliation with Mark and Paul, and at the end of Paul's life in Timothy, we see that Paul actually asks for Mark to come because he says he's useful to me. A man that he probably thought was useless is now useful because of the grace of God, working through Mark, in Mark, but also working and changing the heart of Paul. You know, I think some of us, I'm sure, have Marks in our lives. People that we would label as not dependable because they have quit, they have failed, they have done things that we aren't pleased with. But you know what? That doesn't mean that God is done with them. And we shouldn't be done with them either. We should be willing to give them a second chance. And we need to remember, how many chances has God given us? How many times do we fail the Lord and we're desperate for Him to say, you know what, here's another chance. I'm going to change you, I'm going to use you, I'm going to give you more opportunities, not I'm done with you. And so when we have those marks in our lives, we need the grace of God to work in our hearts so that we're willing to say, you know what, yeah, you failed here, but I'm willing to offer you another chance. I'm willing to move past that. But you know what, some of us are marks. Some of us have failed God in ministry. And we need to realize God's able to forgive. God's able to restore. And then God's able to use us once again. I noted earlier that we are like the Onesimus who says, in our past before we accepted Christ, we got all these issues. But you know what? For many of us, in our present or not very far past, while we were believers, we failed the Lord. We failed in ministry. And sometimes you think, well, well, you know what, it's not my, my past before Christ, it's my after Christ, and I still failed, and so God can't use me anymore. No. Here's a man who failed after being saved, but yet God still was able to change him and use him, and it should bring encouragement that we serve the God of second chances who can do that with us as well. So the fourth practical way that we should serve the Lord is serve like Mark. Recognize that God gives us second chances when we fail and take those second chances to continue to serve Jesus. And I would add to that, give second chances to those who fail us. Now let's see the specific thing that Paul says here about this man, justice. Verse 11, and Jesus was called justice. Now, you don't have very many people today named Jesus. You know, it's not a name that we give to people, but at this time, this was a very common name. And that's why it was often called Jesus of Nazareth to distinguish him between all the other people who had that name. And so here's a guy who might have been similar to what Jesus' age was, you know, and he's given this name by his parents, and he has his name changed. And understandably so. I'm sure he didn't want people to think that he was, but probably even more so like, I don't feel like I'm worthy to have that name. You know, here's the name of the Messiah. Here's the name of the Savior. And so, you know what? I'd much prefer you to call me Justice. Uh, that's how I'm going to be referred to. That's what I'm going to go by. You know, just, just do that. I think it demonstrates some humility in this guy. But, you know, we're also told that he was one of these Jewish men that was just with Paul, and brought comfort to Paul. But that's all we're told about him. We're just told that his name was Jesus. He changed it to justice. He was a Jewish guy who just journeyed with Paul, was there with Paul, brought comfort to Paul. We have no other mention about him. No, no mighty things that he did. No great sermons that he preached. No people that he led to Christ. All we know of this guy is he was there when Paul needed him. 
and it brought comfort to Paul because of it. Now, he might have done a lot of other different things, but that's not something that the Bible records for us. But even this, I think, is a great encouragement. The fifth practical way that we should serve the Lord is like justice by always being there for people. That's what this guy is known for. What a great thing to be known for for us. You know what? That person is just, it's all, he's always there or she's always there when you need him. And that's a great thing to, that we can do in our service to the Lord and to others. The next person that Paul shares about is a man named Epaphras in verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. The first thing that Paul says about Epaphras is that he is one of you meaning that he came from the church there in Colossae. They most likely sent him out to go and minister with Paul there in Rome. Uh, And so Paul also calls him a bondservant of Christ. Now this is quite interesting because Paul used this term of himself quite often. As he introduces himself in many of his letters, Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And what this means is someone who chooses to serve another for the rest of their life. So you have slaves who didn't choose to be slaves, and then you have bondservants who, the Jews, after six years, you had to release your slave. But if your slave wanted to stay with the master, they could choose to say, I'm going to serve you by my own choice for the rest of my life. And they were now categorized as bondservants. And so that's what Paul is saying. Hey, I have chosen to serve Jesus for the rest of my life. Now, the interesting thing is Paul only says this about two other people in the Bible. When he refers to himself and Timothy, he says, we are bondservants. And right here, when he refers to Epaphras, Epaphras is also someone who has chosen to serve Jesus for the rest of his life. What a great thing that he is known for. But Paul says something about Epaphras that he does for these Colossian believers because he wants these Colossian believers to know this. Yeah, I'm hanging out with this guy and he does stuff for you that you guys need to be aware of. And notice what he does. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Heropolis. Epaphras is a guy with a huge heart for the believers there in Colossae. And that huge heart for them has led him to do two things. The first thing it's led him to do is to pray for them. You know, he's a great example of a prayer warrior. We're told that he was always, so something he's doing regularly, laboring fervently for the Colossian believers in prayer. And one of the things that he regularly prays for them is this prayer that they may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Now, the Greek word here translated perfect means mature or or fully developed. And so his prayer is, I want you guys to become spiritually mature, to be complete in your knowledge of God's will for your life so that you can live it out. That's what I want from you. Maturity, understanding, uh, just come to that place where the Lord really does great things in your life. That was his heart. That was something that he prayed for them regularly. But we're also told he had great zeal. For them. The Greek word translated zeal means to embrace, pursue, and defend something you care greatly 
about. You know, typically, anything you're zealous for is something that you have, you know, you, you care about it. You know, Paul was very zealous for Judaism before he became a Christian. Why? He was very, he cared lots about Judaism. We see here that Epaphras has this zeal for the Colossian believers. Why? Because he cared greatly for them. And it impacted his prayer life. And I don't want you to miss this because I think it's a, such an important connection to prayer that this zeal, this care for these believers is the thing that drove and motivated Epaphras to pray always, fervently for them. And I think this is something that shouldn't be a shocker to us. The reality is most people pray deeply and often only for people and things they care about. (laughs) How often do you pray for things you don't care about? How often do you pray regularly for things that you don't care about? You know, for most of us, if we're honest, like I don't really pray for anything I don't care about. And this is why it's so important that we would have this kind of care for others, especially other believers. Because if we don't have that care, the likelihood is we're not going to be those who lift them up in prayer. When we lag in care, lag in zeal, the likelihood is we're also going to lag in prayer and not do it very often. So the sixth practical way we serve the Lord is to serve Him like Epaphras by caring enough for other believers to regularly pray for them. You know, the reality is all of us need prayer. I know our typical answer when someone says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine or I'm doing good. When the reality is I got lots of areas where I can use prayer. And so, you know, we need to be lifting up one another because we're all in need of it. It's a great way to serve each other. Well, next to Paul shares something about Luke in verse 14. He says, Luke, the beloved physician. Luke was someone who was Paul's personal physician, personal doctor, and someone that Paul deeply loved. They had a really close relationship. Luke was a Gentile believer who traveled very frequently with Paul on his missionary journeys. Luke is a man who wrote two of the longest books in the Bible, the book of Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts. You know what? He's the only Gentile author in the New Testament. God gave him a wonderful, wonderful privilege. And we're told something that's very interesting. At the end of Paul's life, just before he's executed, he's in a prison waiting to be executed. And it's there that he says, Luke is the only one with me. I'm just saying, with all these people that Paul influences, all these churches that he planted, all these people that you know were in his life through all these times, when it came down to the end, and he's waiting for his execution, there's only one guy with him, and that one guy's Luke. They had a really deep, personal, loving relationship that was special between them. And I love this, what we're told here. We kind of just could read through this and be like, yeah, Luke's a doctor, that's nice. But you know what? What we see in Luke's life is that he takes this talent and ability that he has and he uses it for the Lord. Think of it. I mean, Luke's a doctor, okay? I mean, we we know a lot of people want their kids to be doctors. They want them to be doctors. Why? So they can be successful. Because Luke, I'm sure, could have made a lot of money. I'm sure he could have had a nice, easy life, could have lived on the beach. Things could have been good for him. But he chooses instead to go on these horrible journeys of difficulty. He chooses to be with Paul in the midst of all this persecution and all these difficulties. 
He says, you know what? I'm going to take the talents. I'm going to take the ability that I have as a physician. And instead of using it just for myself and to acquire a bunch of wealth and ease in life, I'm going to use it for the glory of God. I'm going to use it to bless a man like Paul. I'm going to travel along with him for the the furtherance of the gospel. And what a great example for us. That we would look at our talents, that we look at our abilities, and that we would recognize, you know what? First and foremost, I should be seeing, how can I use this for Jesus? How can I use this for His glory? How can I use this for the furtherance of the gospel? Not just, how can I use this for me? How can I get lots and lots for me? Which is typically what we do with our talents, typically what we do with our abilities. You know, how can I earn more? How can I do more for me? And I'm not saying it's bad to support your family. That's a biblical thing. I'm not saying it's bad to acquire money. But the bottom line is, are we using it at all for the Lord? Do we even look at that to say, you know what? How can I do this for Jesus Christ? How can I serve Him in this? And this is something where really Luke sacrifices. Sacrifices lots of money. Sacrifices lots of ease of life to use these talents, these abilities for the Lord. And I think a great challenge for us in the seventh practical way we should serve the Lord is serve like Luke by using our talents and abilities for the Lord. The next individual is kind of the the stain, I guess you could say, on this list. A man by the name of Demas. Verse 14. Notice what Paul says. Demas greets you. And that's it. (laughs) Now at this point in time, Demas actually hasn't done anything bad. In fact, Demas was with Paul in both of his imprisonments. So Demas is a really faithful guy. He's been there through thick and thin. He fits with these other guys who have served with Paul, who have been there for Paul, who have been faithful, especially when Paul's been in prison. He's faithful right now as Paul's in prison. It's not now that he's the stain. It's not now that things are sad. It's at the end. At the end of Paul's life, remember when that's read that, hey, only Luke was with me? Right before he tells people, only Luke was with me, he says something about this man, Demas. And it's a sad reality. 2 Timothy 4, 9 and 10. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has departed me and gone to Thessalonica. The man who was with him in two imprisonments, Now Paul's in his third. And notice what he says about Demas. He deserted me. And notice the reason that Demas deserted Paul was because he loved this present world. Now we're not given the specifics of what is it that he specifically loved in the world that drew him away from Paul. But I think it's good that it's general in the sense of that's something that typically draws us away from our service to the Lord. As we're talking about practical things we should do towards serving God, we need to realize that all of us have this temptation. Temptation from the world and the sin of the world and the pleasures of the world that will ultimately drive us away from serving Jesus. And here's a man who was faithful for a long time. And it's sad that you can say, man, look, at he was there with Paul in this imprisonment, there with Paul in this imprisonment, but yet, I don't know what happened in his life. But he came to a point where he said, I'm just out of here. I'm departing because the love of the world is drawing me away. Now, we saw that with Mark, right? Mark did that on the first missionary journey. He had that sad reality too. But we also see the wonderful result that Mark is restored, that Mark is used, that Mark writes a gospel, that God does great things through Mark after this failure. But unfortunately, these are the last words we have of Demas. We don't know what happens. 
We don't know if he gets right with the Lord. We don't know if things turn around. We don't know if God uses him in some great capacity. We sure hope so. We know that God can, as he did with Mark. But you know, I think it's just a good warning to us that we're all susceptible to this. And I think sometimes we get to a point in our Christian life where we kind of miss the reality that, you know what, yes, I could fall like that person. We sometimes get disgusted with you know, certain things that people do and you know how could they do that? And we sometimes are saying that in the sense of like, I would never. But I think we need to realize we're all sinful. We're all tempted by things. And if we're not careful in protecting ourselves, if we're not careful in investing in our personal relationship with Jesus, we'll be one of those people as well. And so it's not like, oh, I, I could never do that. Oh, yes, I could. The reason that I won't is because I protect myself. The reason that I won't is because I'm constantly abiding in Jesus. The reason I won't is because I invest in that relationship every day. That's what protects me, not because I'm so great or strong. We're all susceptible. And so we need to learn from Demas that even though you could do really well in ministry, if you don't continue to protect yourself from the temptations of the world, you might abandon it just like him. So a lesson that we learn from Demas is that all of us need to take daily steps to protect ourselves from the temptations of this world. And this lesson is a practical way to help us in service, because if we don't take this lesson, it definitely will hinder our ability to serve the Lord. Next, we hear about a man named Nymphus in verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So Paul wants the Colossian believers to be greeting other believers in a town close by, Laodicea. But he also says there's a specific guy within that church that I want you to greet, and that is this man by the name of Nymphus. Now we have no other record of him anywhere in Scripture. This is the only thing that we're told about him. But notice what we're told about him. We're told that he was willing to open up his home for the church in Laodicea to meet him. And in that time, they didn't have church buildings. Everybody met in homes. And so you had to have a host home. You had to have someone who said, hey, I'll open up my home for you guys to come every week and meet so that we can have time together to meet and to fellowship and to learn from God's Word. And so here's a guy who was just hospitable, who opened up his home, and this is what the Scriptures tell us about him. This is what he is known for. And just I think it's a great thing that he does in something very practical, you don't have to have some amazing gift. You don't have to have some, some wild ministry. It's like, hey, I'll just open up my home. I'll be hospitable. I can do that. And this is something that we see here. And I think another great example and practical way that we can serve by being hospitable and opening up our home to bless others. Well, Paul just asked the Colossian believers to greet the believers in Laodicea. And now he's going to ask them to do one other thing for the, the believers there in Laodicea. Here in verse 16, he says this. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So Paul says, hey guys, not only do I want you to agree to greet these other guys who are in the church not too far from you, but I want you to take this letter that I have written to you, bring it to them, and I want them to read it. 
Because I don't want just this to encourage you, I want this to encourage them as well. And we see that with lots of, well, obviously all of the letters that have been, you know, kept by the Spirit of God are now, you know, we're reading them. But this was a common thing, you know, pass it around to the churches so that people can be blessed. But notice that Paul also says, and the letter that I wrote to the Laodicean church, I want you as the Colossians to read that as well. And this is where it becomes interesting because we don't have a letter to the Laodicean church. And now we shouldn't all of a sudden jump to this conclusion of, oh my goodness, my Bible is complete. I don't have a letter. What's going on? What did it say? You know, man, what are we going to do? Well, first of all, we need to be confident that the Holy Spirit had the power and did preserve the letters that were truly inspired by the Lord. And something else we need to understand is that not everything that Paul wrote was inspired. Not every letter that he wrote, I'm sure he wrote to his mom as well. I mean, there there are lots of letters that Paul wrote. Not all of them were inspired by the Spirit of God to be Scripture. Now, I'm sure it was important. I'm sure just like if I wrote a letter or you wrote a letter as a, a believer who has understanding of God and the Word of God, that you could write something that was encouraging, write something that was something that would bless others. But it doesn't mean that it is now Scripture inspired by God. And so, you know, there's two thoughts on this. The first is, we don't have this letter because this wasn't an inspired letter not to be included in the Bible. But there's another thought that people have, and that is that the letter to the Ephesians, which was also carried by Tychicus to this group, uh, was a kind of dual letter, that it wasn't just to the Ephesian church, it was also to the Laodicean church, uh, and that it did double duty, and that's the letter that he's referring to. The one that they have is the one that I also wrote to the church in Ephesus. Read that. So that's what many commentators believe, that this letter that we do have is the one that he's referring to, or it could just be it's a letter that we don't have because it's not inspired, but either way, don't get all upset thinking we don't have what we should. We can be confident that the Spirit of God has preserved what we need and what God wants us to know. The final person that Paul shares something about is an encouragement to a man by the name of Archippus in verse 17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Now in the book of Philemon, the one I mentioned earlier, Onesimus' master that Paul writes to to receive Onesimus back to forgive him, We're told about this man, Archippus. And Archippus is there. He's a part of that church. And he says about Archippus, he gives him encouragement. Paul knows this man. He's familiar with him. And so notice what he says. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So Paul knows something about this man. Hey, I know the ministry that you've received. And I want to give you an encouragement. First, take heed to it so that you may fulfill fulfill it so that you will do it. And I think it's a wonderful encouragement as we look at all the things that we've seen, all these people and the example and the encouragement that they are in our service to the Lord, if we will follow those examples, what a great final encouragement for all of us, because this is encouragement not only for this man, this is a great encouragement for you and I as well, that first we would discover the ministry that God has for us, and then that we'd be faithful to do it. You know, it's one thing to, to know, hey, this is my gifting, this is my calling, this is the ministry that God has for me presently in this time of my life, but it's a whole other thing to be faithful in that. And that's what Paul is ultimately saying to this guy. You know what? I want to encourage you, be faithful in this. And these people that we've looked at to this point, 
Besides, well, even Demas was at this point in time still. He doesn't become unfaithful till later. They're all faithful in what God has given them. And I think this is another one of those lessons, just like we saw a lesson of warning. This is just a, a lesson of encouragement that we learn here that we need to practically do to help us serve the Lord. And that is be faithful with the ministry God has given us and encourage others to be faithful with their ministries. You know, and I add that reality. Yeah, we want to you know, recognize we need to be faithful. But you know what? All of us struggle. When ministries get hard and when things are difficult and they're not happening like you would like or, or people are hard, you know, that's when we need to come alongside of someone else and just encourage them. Keep being faithful. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. But that not only that we would do it ourselves, but as Paul is doing this for Archippus, that we would do it for others, just encouraging them to be faithful with what God has given them. And Paul finishes this amazing letter in verse 18 by saying this, This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. Now typically, Paul would dictate his letter to someone else who would be writing down all the things that he says. And often he would conclude the salutation, the very end, he would say right now, you stop writing, give me the pen, I'm going to finish it in my own handwriting. And part of this was just to authenticate it. Hey, I wrote this. This is my own handwriting just to show that, yes, I dictated it to this guy. This isn't just some random letter that someone says is from Paul to you. No, this is truly from Paul to you. Here's the authentication of me writing this at the end here to kind of um, share this. And he writes two things. First, remember my chains. Now remember, Paul's in prison right now. Guys, I just want you to remember the chains. Pray for me. Remember me. Remember what I'm going through here, but also, he says, grace be with you, amen. You know, I think Paul was very aware that everything that he shared in this letter, all the challenges that we've seen, ultimately come back to how desperate the Colossian believers were for the grace of God. And we need to realize that as well. I mean, this last section has been very practical very challenging how we demonstrate Jesus in all these different areas of our life. And I'm sure some of these things have kind of hit you hard of like, man, I don't know if I can do that. Well, yeah, we're all in the same boat. That's why we need the grace of God so desperately to give us what we haven't earned, what we can't earn, what we don't deserve so that we can accomplish what only He can help us accomplish. So in this final section, Paul shares 10 people who serve the Lord with him. And hopefully each way in which they served is not only an encouragement, but an example to each one of us to serve the Lord that way as well. And as I've noted over and over again, the main focus of this letter is the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. Chapter 1, the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus is declared in the gospel, in redemption, in creation, in the church, in reconciliation, and in Paul's ministry. In chapter 2, it's defended against empty philosophies, religious legalism, and false doctrines. And in chapter 3, it is demonstrated in our personal life, our fellowship, our family, our work, our witness, and our service. So I hope this letter has been encouraging, a blessing, but also hopefully transforming. You know, the whole goal of any Bible study is that we would apply it 
And so my challenge to myself, my challenge to you, is that we would take these truths that we have learned and that we would put them into practice and become more like Christ through it. Let's pray.